0: There is a possibility that election issues may come before the Supreme Court oh, really? in the days following the election. And all the more oh. reason why uh, we should have nine justices on the Supreme Court. Uh-huh. Didn't seem
1: to care so much about that back in 2016, did you?
0: Well I don't know why I
2: came here tonight? Issues could have come before I the court had a then. Right. But only
1: now for some I'm so
2: reason. Huh.
1: Get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me Jokers to the right Here I am stuck in the middle
0: with you Yep Yes, I'm stuck in the
1: middle with From Pacifica with Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California On KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. Up in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. In Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another all-too-thrilling edition of the broadcast. Glad to have you here. A Kentucky grand jury on Wednesday has indicted a single former police officer for shooting into neighboring apartments, but did not move forward with charges against any officers for their role in Breonna Taylor's shooting death by police officers in the middle of the night as she was sleeping in her own apartment. On March 13th of this year in Louisville, the grand jury announced that fired officer Brett Hankinson was charged with three counts of wanton endangerment in connection to the police raid of Taylor's home in which cops broke open the door for a drug raid in a case of essentially mistaken identity. No drugs were found in uh, in her apartment and her boyfriend, a licensed gun owner who Woke up terrified as the police entered in the middle of the night, fired his weapon once in self defense before police then fired 10 times, killing Taylor, a 36 year old African American emergency medical specialist uh, in the bargain. It took some time for the killing of Taylor to become widely known nationally. It occurred amid the national uprisings earlier this year against the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Immediately after Wednesday's announcement about the charges, or lack thereof, in Louisville, many expressed frustration that the grand jury did not do more. Linda Sarsour of Until Freedom, a group that has pushed for charges in this case, tweeted, Justice has not been served. She called for people to rise up everywhere for Brianna Taylor. Attorney uh, Ben Crump, who is representing Taylor's family, tweeted that the charges involved, quote, nothing for the murder of Brianna Taylor. This is outrageous and offensive, he said. At a news conference, the state attorney general, Daniel Cameron, said Hankinson and the two other officers who entered Taylor's apartment announced themselves before entering the apartment. And did not use a no-knock warrant. According to Kentucky law, the use of force by the officers was justified to protect themselves," said Cameron. "This justification bars us from pursuing criminal charges in Miss Brianna uh, Taylor's death," the AG said. Regarding the inevitable disappointment by those who wanted criminal charges brought in Taylor's death, he remarked, quote, The decision before my office as the special prosecutor in this case was not decided if the loss of Mrs. of Miss Taylor's life was a tragedy. The answer to that is unequivocally yes. He added, I understand that Brianna Taylor's death is part of a national story, but the facts and evidence in this case are different than others involving police shootings, he said. If we simply act on emotion or outrage, there is no justice, said Cameron. Mob justice is not justice. Justice sought by violence is not justice. It just becomes revenge. He added that the FBI is still investigating potential violations of federal law in the case. A uh, Republican... You'll be shocked to learn. Uh, Cameron is the state's first black state attorney general. He's also a protege of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the Kentucky senator facing reelection in November against Democratic former fighter pilot Amy McGrath. Taylor was shot multiple times by officers who entered her home reportedly using a no knock warrant. During a narcotics investigation, even though the AG denies a no-knock warrant was used, the warrant used to search her home was connected to a suspect who did not live there, and the use of no-knock warrants have since been banned by Louisville's Metro Council. Before the charges, uh, before any charges were brought, Hankison was fired from the city's police department. Back in June, a termination letter sent to him by the interim Louisville police chief said the white officer had violated procedures by showing, quote, extreme indifference to the value of human life when he, quote, wantonly and blindly shot 10 rounds of gunfire into Taylor's apartment in March. Hankinson, uh, Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly, Officers Miles Cosgrove, and the detective who sought the warrant, Joshua Janes, were placed on administrative reassignment after the shooting. Taylor's boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, opened fire when police burst in. He hit Officer Mattingly, but Walker was the one who was charged with attempted murder of a police officer. After protests, prosecutors later dropped that charge that came very quickly. On September 15, the city settled, this is just last week, a lawsuit against the three officers that that was brought by Taylor's mother. They agreed to pay $12 million and enact police reforms. Well, actually, the officers did not. The city did. So they agreed to pay her $12 million million dollars and enact police reforms. By the way, that's 12 million dollars in taxpayer money. But really, why would they do that? For what? Apparently the cops uh, that work for the city, they did nothing wrong to her, according to the Attorney General. In any event, that news breaks uh, today, and I'm hoping that everyone stays safe if they head out to march in protest tonight or over the next few days. I hope that they do not play into Donald Trump's hands. I also hope, especially, that they are careful of right-wing saboteurs out there who will almost certainly be out there hoping to inflame peaceful protests in this case.
3: Yes, as we saw with the George Floyd protests and protests across the country, provocateurs, right-wing provocateurs, are out there and ready to light a match anywhere they can get away with it.
1: Hi, Desi Doyan. Hi. Uh, in other law enforcement news, sort of, which may have an effect on our now officially ongoing presidential election, as voters are now beginning to vote early and by mail all over the country. Uh, in fact, uh, given the twisted uh, politicized state of our federal law enforcement and intelligence agencies, I am not really sure yet what to make, Desi Doyen, of this story. But it does seem worth sharing today, so I will, as covered by NBC News last night. Americans, they report, should look to state election officials for trusted results in November, the FBI said on Tuesday, as bad actors may try to sow chaos while votes are still being counted. In a public service announcement, uh, the FBI and the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Yes, it's actually described at the top of this thing as a public service announcement. The FBI cautions that certifying the results of the U.S. elections could take weeks and that, quote, foreign actors and cyber criminals could exploit the time required to certify and announce 2020 election results. Foreign actors and cybercriminals, they warn, could create new websites, change existing websites and create or share corresponding social media content to spread false information in an attempt to discredit the electoral process and undermine confidence in U.S. Democratic institutions. As my, as many problems as we have. Now you can add this to the list. Uh, They go on to say state and local officials typically require several days to weeks to certify elections. Final results in order to ensure every legally cast vote is accurately counted. The increased use of mail in ballots due to covid-19 protocols could leave officials with incomplete results on election night. Well, I'm glad at least they're. Offering that public service announcement, they go on to say foreign actors and cyber criminals could exploit the time required to certify and announce election results by disseminating disinformation that includes reports of voter suppression, cyber attacks targeting election infrastructure or uh, voter or ballot fraud and other problems intended to convince the public of the election's illegitimacy. The FBI and CISA urge the American public to critically evaluate the sources of the information they consume and to seek out reliable and verified information from trusted sources such as state and local election officials. They don't mention federal officials there.
3: Gosh, I wonder why.
1: I don't know. I really don't know. Make of this what you will. The The public, they say, should also be aware that if foreign actors or cyber criminals, presumably that includes Domestic actors? Don't know. Uh, if they were able to successfully change an election-related website, the underlying data and inter- uh, internal systems would remain uncompromised, they say. Okie dokie, then. Uh, where to start on this? Uh, I-, I don't know that in uh, such an event the underlying data and internal systems would remain uncompromised. Yes, yes. If bad guys are able to change an election reporting site, like a you know a Secretary of State's site or the New York Times results site, something like that, um, in other words, if they were able to ch- just change the numbers on the public-facing website that people are able to read. Um, those could be changed without changing the underlying data. It would end up in uh, chaos, I suspect. It would end up in, if they showed Donald Trump winning when he really wasn't, it would end up in, I'm sure, him declaring that uh, he won because such and such a website said so. Um, But uh, that could be done without changing the actual vote count. Of course, the fact is that changing the underlying vote count itself via computerized tabulators, that is not, in fact, very difficult at all. And it can be done in a way that would be virtually impossible for anyone to notice unless they bothered to hand count at least the hand marked paper ballots that are available where they are available. That, as listeners to this program or readers to Bradblog.com know from our reporting over the last 17 years or so, is rarely done. It is, it is very rare that they bother to actually hand-count hand-marked paper ballots, or any uh, ballots for that matter. Not even in some of the very closest and most surprising elections, like the 2016 elections, where had just two votes been recorded for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump in, th- in each precinct in three battleground states, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania all of which flipped to uh, to the Republican candidate that year for the first time in decades. Well, if that had happened, Hillary Clinton would have been the president right now and not Donald Trump. But even in that case, attempts to hand count hand marked paper ballots in those three states was blocked largely by Republicans, though Democrats were not very helpful either in Pennsylvania, of course. There was not much to hand count, given that the state back in 2016 forced most voters to vote on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. So even if a hand count would have been allowed in Pennsylvania back then, there is no way to know that the old, in, in some cases, two decades old computer systems that voters were forced to use in 2016, that any of them actually reflected the intent of the voters. On those touchscreen computer voting systems, it was 100 percent impossible to know if any vote actually cast on one of them reflected the intent of any voter that year. Well, now the good news in Pennsylvania, which seems to be uh, shaping up of late as a uh, perhaps the potential tipping point, the swing uh, tipping point swing state for 2020 Uh, Pennsylvania. The good news is that the Democratic governor there ordered new voting systems after the 2016 election. The bad news is that about a third of the state's counties, including its largest and most Democratic leaning metropolitan area, Philadelphia, replaced their old 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens with brand new 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens. Some slightly better news is that the state also enacted no-excuse absentee uh, mail-in voting last year, so there will be a lot more hand-counted paper ballots to tally this year, ballots that actually tell us uh, how voters voted.
3: I think you mean hand-marked,
1: not Uh, hand-counted. Hand-marked, right. Hand-marked paper ballots that can be hand-counted. Uh, Still, the unverifiable touchscreens remain uh, 100 percent unverifiable where they are used, and there's likely to be enough voters voting on them this year to tilt the balance of the state one way or another. Oddly enough, while the state's Democratic Secretary of State, Kathy Buchvar, is currently defending the use of those machines in court, she's now being joined in that defense by the Trump campaign who is taking her side in that legal battle. Now, why would they do that as they are otherwise suing the state over the use of absentee mail-in ballots and uh, the use of drop boxes for those ballots and so forth? Well, We'll be joined shortly here by investigative journalist Art Levine. He has an in-depth story just breaking today on exactly that. It was published at Washington Monthly. It is headlined, quote, Donald Trump's favorite voting machines. Ballot marking devices in key swing states that could give him the perfect excuse to contest the election. As Art's story explains, and as we've been yelling and screaming about here for years. so I'm glad that someone finally noticed similar machines will not only be used in battleground Pennsylvania, but also battleground states like North Carolina, Ohio, Texas, and Georgia. And yes, Democrats seem to be supporting the use of those systems in those states. And uh, as as we've long reported, even here in California, in the largest county, In the state, largest county in the nation, actually, Los Angeles, where we have just installed 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, which, like the ones in Pennsylvania and Georgia during the primaries this uh, year, they failed spectacularly. Anyway, uh, going back to this uh, FBI and infrastructure security agency public service announcement, It includes, as I said, some recommendations along with, uh, you know, somewhat opaque warnings, you know, that we should seek out trustworthy sources such as state and local election officials, verify who produced the content and so forth, Uh, verify through multiple sources any reports about problems in voting or election results. So, uh, you know, again, generally useful information, I guess. The government warning does not cite domestic actors as potential sources of disinformation for whatever reason, despite evidence of at least one domestic troll farm here in the U.S. in the style of Russia's Internet Research Agency. That you'll recall uh, causing trouble ahead of the 2016 election. This uh, domestic group uh, was recently reported by The Washington Post, after which Twitter subsequently banned a bunch of accounts from what appear to be this uh, use of domestic bots tweeting out support of Donald Trump. But the warning point specifically to state and local election officials as trustworthy. It does not mention federal officials. As you know, Donald Trump has repeatedly made false claims about voting by mail to indicate that it is an invalid process, particularly regarding states with Democratic election chiefs like Colorado and Michigan, and yes even Pennsylvania. So, uh, make of it what you will. For now, just putting it out there, it's sad that we no longer know whether we can trust uh, uh, notices like this from the federal government, from an agency. Is it one of them that has been politicized or not? Who knows? In any event, uh, when it comes to places like Pennsylvania, well, that's where we will head next with journalist Art Levine. He joins the fray with his own warnings which are certain to be ignored like so many of ours about the new voting systems now set for use in battlegrounds like Ohio, North Carolina, Texas and yes, Pennsylvania. Art Levine on Donald Trump's favorite voting machines. That's next on the broadcast. Buckle up. I'm Brad Friedman. Uh, Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. You know, Donald Trump is said to have won Pennsylvania for the first time in decades in uh, 2016 by fewer than six, five thousand, fewer than sixty five thousand votes that year. Uh, Speaking of Pennsylvania in a sign of how critical the Keystone State is regarded By the Republican Party's election litigation strategy this year, the state GOP now wants the U.S. Supreme Court to review a state case that opened up absentee voting there while the Trump campaign is seeking to revive a federal lawsuit. Targeting Pennsylvania's plans for pandemic voting. Now, you may recall we reported in some detail last week on this show before the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg upended our coverage in recent days. We reported the mostly good news. From the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court, which approved the use of absentee ballot drop boxes in Pennsylvania and is allowing ballots received by election officials to be tallied if they arrive as late as three days after Election Day. Now, that was a setback for Team Trump in the state court's series of rulings last Thursday. Also, uh, those rulings included uh, upholding a state requirement that poll watchers must live in the county where they are poll watching. That disallows Team Trump to bring in so-called ballot security squad goons from elsewhere in the, uh, well, elsewhere in the state, elsewhere in the country to come in and intimidate voters at the polls. But the indications this week from Republicans that the U.S. Supreme Court will now be asked to get involved in the state court case that we talked about last week, well, that marks the first time that the high court's intervention will be sought Since the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Pennsylvania GOP, as well as the Republican leaders of its legislature indicated on Tuesday that they would appeal uh, the decision from the state Supreme Court last week and particularly its extension for the receipt deadline for absentee ballots. They're going to appeal that to the U.S. Supreme Court. The notice came in requests to the state Supreme Court that it pretty please put its opinion on hold while the U.S. Supreme Court reviews the case. Tuesday's filing, uh, first reported by The Hill, argued that the state Supreme Court's opinion violates the election clause of the U.S. Constitution by allowing ballots to be counted after Election Day, even if they lacked postmarks confirming that they were sent by then. Yes, that is an issue because the U.S. Postal Service does not always use a postmark, believe it or not, on all election mailings. So even even if an absentee ballot is processed by the post office two days before the election, but it arrives the day after the election, Republicans do not want that ballot to be counted this year. Of course, they also don't want any ballot that arrives after Election Day, even if it is postmarked to be counted either. Democrats and Republicans have been engaging in a multi-front court battle over several aspects of Pennsylvania's absentee voting process in recent weeks. In addition to the, so far anyway, successful state lawsuit brought by Democrats that I just mentioned, Uh, which now could be overturned by the currently five to three U.S. Supreme Court after the death of RBG or even a six to three right wing Supreme Court after Republicans rammed through their newest member to the court, potentially before Election Day. In addition to that, There's also a federal lawsuit that was filed by the Trump campaign and the RNC that takes aim at the drop boxes and the poll watcher residency requirements as well. That federal lawsuit was put on hold while the state Supreme Court decision was pending in the state case. And now the federal judge, who is a President Trump appointee, Uh, He has now begun to revive the federal case. That case also provides Republicans the opportunity to drag the U.S. Supreme Court into this fight over Pennsylvania's election system. It is continuing to request that the federal court blocks the use of, quote, unmanned ballot boxes. In other words, secure absentee ballot drop boxes like those that are used all over the country for absentee ballots. Also, that uh, case seeks to declare unconstitutional the residency requirement for poll watchers in the state. All of this should give you some clue why Republicans are now pushing so hard to pack the U.S. Supreme Court as hard and as quickly as they can. And if you don't believe me, just listen to Vice President Mike Pence explaining on Fox News last night to crazy person lou dobbs why it's so important that they expedite this confirmation
0: the senate should move thoroughly thoughtfully and quickly uh... and uh, and move to consideration a hearing uh, if needs be and ultimately uh, to a floor vote because we, you know we have uh... we have major issues uh... in the country today and uh, you know lou with all of the talk about uh, universal unsolicited mail-in balloting where we see states around the country that are now right. extending the deadline uh, there is a possibility that election issues may come before the supreme court in the days following the election and all the more reason why uh... we should have nine justices on the supreme court uh... to uh... to be able to resolve uh, any issues that may arise then or on any other matter
1: hmm cases that may come to the u.s supreme court concerning the election Well, as you can tell, Republicans really, really want to seat someone very quickly on the court and they are really, really focusing for some reason on Pennsylvania this year. But there there may be another reason they're focused on Pennsylvania, as longtime investigative journalist Art Levine hones in on today in a detailed investigative report published by Washington Monthly this morning. Longtime listeners here and readers at Bradblog.com know that we have been yelling and screaming about the brand new 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking devices that have been installed over the past year or so in states around the country in the polling places, including key swing states like Pennsylvania, Georgia, Ohio, Texas and North Carolina. As well as even here in my own home county of Los Angeles, the nation's most populous voting jurisdiction. While we have spent quite a bit of time covering things like the $300 million boondoggle of a new unverifiable touchscreen system here in L.A. and the new $100 million boondoggle of new unverifiable touchscreen systems forced into every county of Georgia... By its Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensberger, we have uh, we've spent less time covering the boondoggle of the new unverifiable touchscreen voting systems installed in some of the largest, most Democratic leaning counties in states like in swing states like North Carolina and Pennsylvania, where voters in Philadelphia, for example, will be forced to vote on these systems at the precincts. This November 3rd. And while I'm not surprised to see folks like Georgia's Raffensburger forcing the use of these type of machines on voters at the polls, these so-called ballot marking devices or BMDs that use a computer to print a computer marked paper ballot, it is maddening to see democratic controlled jurisdictions forcing the use of these same unverifiable systems in places like Los Angeles and Philadelphia. It's even more maddening to see some of the otherwise best voting rights and election security groups in the country, like Verified Voting and the Brennan Center, not only not objecting to the use of these unverifiable BMD systems, but in some cases actually supporting them. Well, There has been a handful of folks like myself and frequent guests on this program, like Marilyn Marks, the Coalition for Good Governance. They're suing to block the use of those machines in Georgia. They're hoping to force the use of verifiable hand marked paper ballots at the polls instead. And other folks, computer science and security experts like Rich DeMillo of Georgia Tech, Philip Stark of UC Berkeley, And a few activists like Jenny Cohn of Protect Our Votes, Emily Levy of Scrutineers.org, Lulu Freistad of SmartElections.us. They've all been trying to ring the alarm frequently on this show and sometimes only on this show because few in the mainstream corporate media have noticed this concern or at least have bothered to report on it to report on the danger of these voting systems that could culminate in election results that nobody can know after the election if they are accurate or not. Well, today, Art Levine picks up the ball himself, thankfully, at Washington Monthly in a lengthy piece headlined, Donald Trump's favorite voting machines. Ballot marking devices in key swing states could give him the perfect excuse to contest the election. Wherein art details the fights against BMDs in several states, but especially in Pennsylvania, where the Trump campaign is actually joining forces with the Democratic Secretary of State there, Kathy Buchvar, to defend the use of 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting systems in several of the state's largest and most democratic-leaning jurisdictions, including Philadelphia, where there are easily enough votes. In Philadelphia alone, to swing a state which went to Trump for the first time in decades by just over 40,000 votes out of some 6 million cast back in 2016. In addition to reporting on concerns about voting systems going back years, Art Levine is also the author of the book Mental Health, Inc., How Corruption, Lack Oversight, and Failed Reforms Endangered Our Most Vulnerable Citizens. And he's author of the Newsweek cover story that uh, accompanied that book's publication. So I'm very happy to have him back on the voting system beat just in time for this year's election disaster. Mr. Levine, it's been a long time, but welcome back to the broadcast, sir.
2: Well, thank you very much, and thank you for the long introduction, and I hope I can shed further light on the tangled, unbelievable, nutty mess in Philadelphia that is emblematic of the kind of challenges that other swing states statewide in Georgia and in uh, some key democratic cities in Ohio, Texas, Mm -hmm. and North Carolina and so on will be facing. Uh, It's a nightmare beyond the already other nightmares that we're aware of. It's basically the added kindling for the constitutional crisis that you profiled in terms of the Transition Integrity Project where, you know, uh, how likely uh, challenges will be and refusals to concede if... If Trump uh, doesn't mm-hmm. win in, in on election night,
1: there are there are all sorts of ways that this entire election could become just uh, I don't know I don't want to call it a disaster, but an absolute mess. There's all way all sorts of ways for uh, Donald Trump to challenge this election, to challenge the results, and I, I do want to you know point folks towards your a long important excellently detailed story at Washington Monthly this uh, just out this morning because it details an aspect of this that is not yet being covered really anywhere in the media. Now, I will link to that story, of course, when I post today's show at bradblog.com but I guess, Art, I should offer some full disclosure here. I did speak with you on a number of occasions in recent months uh, right. as you were working on this project, so I just want to make that clear by way of Disclosure, but in brief, what are your concerns about these ballot marking devices, these touchscreen BMDs being installed around the country?
2: Here is what my biggest concern is, and why my my article is geared towards mainstream Democrats and mainstream liberal pundits and the punditocracy and media people who haven't been really paying any attention to election security for i don't know nearly twenty years right. so so the issue yeah. that i'm trying to highlight is particularly in this political environment we can't know the results they can't the results can't cannot because it's computer printouts mm-hmm. that can't be reliably audited verified it or proven as valid they as as was pointed out in research papers by co-authored by uh, experts like Philip Stark and Demillo who you featured on your show mm-hmm. uh, you can't either challenge the results in any meaningful way and you can't prove that they're valid so it's basically a wide open opportunity for chaos doubt and and propaganda and so, and so on and The Republicans, in my view, have the upper hand here because they've already signaled they're going to challenge every possible result as rigged. In contrast, the Democrats, as Jenny Cohen has pointed out in a great interview she gave Gaslit Nation, Democrats are sort of in a bind because (laughs) if the machine results come in showing that they're losing in these swing states built around BMD results, Mm-hmm. Statewide in Georgia and all the key Democratic urban areas in these other battleground states, uh, they 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 have previously claimed, "Oh, our systems are very secure and they can't be hacked." And so they're going to risk looking like hypocrites if they challenge the BMD results. And they've been absolutely radio silent except for Ohio Democrats. At the state and national level, about the risks of voting technology, from and, and they've been radio silent about it from the moment the Iowa app crashed through the L.A. County disaster that you chronicled so well, through the Georgia primary, there they have not addressed directly head-on the fact that these are unverifiable and unreliable. And in fact, the mainstream liberal centrist solution for these problems is, oh, please just apply more junky, failure-prone, <laughs> unverifiable BMDs to minority districts. And that will somehow magically reduce lines. Now, let me
1: let me let me jump in here to say that, uh, you know, when these uh, machines fail, when they just don't work or the electronic poll books that are needed to work uh, with them at the polling place, when they don't work, when they fail for whatever reason, they're misprogrammed. they, They, you know, they certainly can be hacked. The Internet can slow down all of that. We see these huge lines around the, you know, around the block. It takes hours for people to vote. We saw that here in Los Angeles during the primary. We saw it in uh, minority districts in Georgia during the primaries. So that could just prevent people from voting. But specifically, so people understand these machines that print out use a touchscreen and then they print out. What is supposed to be a copy of your selections on a piece of paper? Election officials will say, "Well, there it is, right there. It's verifiable." What do you mean it's not uh, verifiable? Can you explain why those ballots after an election, why nobody can know whether they reflect the intent of the voter or not? Right,
2: and and the and you featured and highlighted. Yeah, one is the most recent research. First of all, they're not actually verifiable by the voters in the real world because. There was a very important study out of the University of Michigan and mm-hmm. Professor Halderman and others. Mm-hmm. And what they found is when they ran these elections and mock, when they fiddled with the results and, you know, created uh, mistakes as part of the test, 93 mm-hmm. percent of the people voting couldn't tell that their ballots had been, had been you know, monkeyed with and yep. got different results. And and less than half even bothered to check the whole thing. So so one of the things that's not well understood, and I'm trying to do this in this piece, is if every single element, as you just sort of outlined, if every single element works perfectly, Mm -hmm. everything boots up, everybody is trained, it runs smoothly, it's still useless to either prove an election result or to challenge an election result. And in this environment, it is a recipe for chaos and refusal to concede Especially from the Republicans.
1: Now it's useless, as you describe it. I don't want to call it useless. I will call it unverifiable. Uh, okay. But but largely for two reasons that you talk about. One is that even if people do try to verify the computer-printed, uh, 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 you know, results on their ba- selections on their ballot, as you note, know, 93% of the people don't notice uh, when the vote has flipped. But more to the point, even if everything works correctly. We can't know after the election if anybody actually bothered to verify those selections, much less uh, having done so accurately and then even making things worse. As you note, even if they do verify the English, uh, you know, the language, uh, the, the human readable language that's printed out, that is not even what is used For tabulating the results, they use the little barcode or the QR code that is also printed on the ballot.
2: Yes, that's the, uh, right, that is the thing that they, so even if people actually checked in some magical alternative universe, if 100% of the people checked their printouts and gave some up, yep, that's how I voted, even down to the down-ballot races and the city council, yep, it's great, that's what I meant, 100%. You still don't know that's what is being (laughs) scanned because it's an unreadable QR code or an unreadable scanning code. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be, like we say in the article, this is going to make the Florida debate over hanging chads look like child's play. This is a massive constitutional crisis of Florida. Be fomented in every one of these states that use this equipment, and the Democrat Dick Party have been silent. Now, on the positive side, I'll be glad to talk to you about some reform groups and efforts that are going on to try to reverse this, that people could try to get involved in, where they can learn more.
1: We'll get to that. But in reporting on this story. What is the reason uh, that you heard that uh, so many of these jurisdictions seem to be sticking with these systems despite the known failures, despite, you know, when they were tried out uh, for the first time this year, they failed spectacularly in in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Los Angeles. What's the reason that election officials are sticking with them despite the known failures?
2: Well, it's a little hard to decipher the actual reasons because my efforts to get comment from, for instance, Bookvar's office, the Georgia Democratic Party, National Democratic election leaders, and Mark Elias, and all the others at DNC National, has been, I don't know, their justifications, they have a variety of justifications, and they're specious in various ways. So one of the justifications is they bought into the notion that, as Kathy Fang at at the then the head of California Common Core said, mm-hmm. oh, it's stigmatizing to dis- disabled people to vote on a sh- machine different than ableists who are voting on hand-marked ballots. So we don't want put, to put voters, language minority voters or disabled voters on the back of the bus in terms of voting. It's an unfair stigmatizing. But So in fact, so in other words,
1: so, so let me just uh, decode that a little bit, Art. So in other words, what they're saying is instead of a system where uh, most voters used hand-marked paper ballots at the polls and those who needed them because they're disabled or they have uh, language issues that they need to, uh, uh, that they actually need an assistive electronic device, that they can use one of those. But other than that, These folks are saying, well, that would be discriminatory to make, uh, to allow, uh, you know, most people vote one way and disabled voters to have to use this other system. So what they're saying is everybody should use this other systems, this so-called universal BMD system. Yeah,
2: and oddly enough, I got on the phone the most best-known advocate for Disabled, accessible voting machines, and he favors, in the long run, universal use. But for this election, John Dixon, <laughs> who's the best known critic of hand-marked paper ballots, said we shouldn't be introducing, you know, uh, this universal use system in a presidential election year. And he compared it to trying to put on a tire on a car racing down the highway. It's that crazy. Yeah. And so we have. So basically, you have so-called do-gooders but then we have the other issue which is unbelievable lobbying and corruption and that's one of the things that i highlighted and i drew on the uh... reporting in the in the philadelphia Inquirer, but also the advocacy work of the philadelphia vote uh... citizen groups rich Gorella, that i quoted Mm -hmm. and one of the things that happened is is that he he has a very plausible theory is that basically Philadelphia, if you may have heard, has a fairly corrupt political culture, mm-hmm. and their judiciary is very corrupt. But what happened in Philadelphia, they actually had a guy, an actual election, uh, uh, they're called judges there, an actual administrative supervisor who went, who has been sentenced to prison for actually stuffing touchscreen machines by multiple voting. Mm-hmm. So and, you know, that's the culture. So what happened is in Philadelphia, uh, according to news accounts, ES&S uh, uh, lobbied and hid their donations and lobbying activities and was fined $2.9 million for That's the...
1: E-ES, ES&S is uh, the largest uh, voting system voting vendor that, in the country, yes? Right, go ahead. and
2: it was their, high, their kind of Rube Goldberg Express Vote XL that mm-hmm. literally no one who is had a disability could verify their votes on, but this particular piece of junk was pushed heavily by Philadelphia city polls, and one of them uh, is a city councilman has been indicted, and his protege was overseeing the election process in it 's called an elected city commission. So, the whole thing, and got donations, although she has not been criminally indicted. But they so were secret, is- but they so-
1: were secretly. the the people who decided to use these machines in Philadelphia were actually being lobbied with all kinds of uh, things, special trips, money, campaign funds, everything else, I guess, from es and and they weren't disclosing it, and then the group turned around and said, hey, you know what, why don't we use ES&S, and they are right, uh, crappy, expensive yeah, machines. They weren't disclosing machines. it,
2: and they, and, you know, they all gave reasons, like es, ES ES&S donations, I think, and or lobbying amounted to $425,000. Now, given what you know about city politics... It is, it is unheard of for a major election company to be fined $2.9 million for a decision-making that led to a $29 million contract in one city.
1: And, uh, uh, unfortunately, it did not lead to them changing their mind about using those uh, so those same systems. They're using them anyway. Art Levine, it's it's uh, it's not just these jurisdictions, but some otherwise, you know, reliable voting groups, uh, as well as some oh, of the yes. disability I'm, groups. I
2: go, I, I'm highly critical of, I'm particularly critical of the Brennan Center and National Verified Voting. Now, verified voting, uh, to its credit, has finally, after two of its top computer experts quit, DeMillo and Stark, Mm -hmm. clarified that they're opposed to universal use BMDs, but they have been very ambiguous and ambivalent in their wording, although they have claimed that they haven't been ambivalent, but the evidence and track record is, is, is very clear to see. At Brennan Center, which is extremely influential, on these issues Larry Norton just told me directly he's the head of their election security said it's not been a priority and instead they've been reassuring people don't worry about those battleground states almost all of them and most places don't have paperless dres which have been you know have been going out of fashion for 20 years but so they've been fighting a 20 year old you know disappearing phantom of voting machines and not paying any attention to these machines upon which twenty percent of all registered voters who show up in polling places across the united states will be forced to vote
1: on. Those that 20, could affect the election. Those 20-year-old DREs, as you call them, the direct recording electronic devices, those are also touchscreens. Uh, th- those are the machines that were decertified recently in Georgia, thanks to Marilyn Marks' lawsuit, the right. federal lawsuit. But, yeah, so they, they refer to them, you know, paperless DREs. Well, now we have s- touchscreens that are almost exactly the same, except they print out this piece of paper, and these voting groups Are just, they seem to be cool with it. I've got just a minute or so here, uh, Art. Let me, uh, I want to get to something that is really key uh, in your story at Washington Monthly and why I think it's headlined Donald Trump's Favorite Voting Machines. This lawsuit, uh, the NAACP. Uh, along with uh, Free Speech for People. We had their attorney, uh, Courtney Hostetler, on this show last week. They are actually suing against the use of these systems in in Pennsylvania, in North Carolina, uh, I think in Texas as well. In Pennsylvania, however, tell me about this suit against the use of these machines and how the Trump campaign now seems to be teaming up With the Pennsylvania, with with the Democratic Pennsylvania Secretary of State, Kathy Buchvar, to defend the use of these systems.
2: Yeah, it's nuts. But what's happened is it's a wide ranging lawsuit that includes touchscreens and other issues like early voting and and so on. It's in a state court. And basically, uh, the Trump campaign and the state and national. Republican Party have intervened successfully to join with Kathy Buchvar, a Democratic Secretary of State, to fight the NAACP and other civil rights groups by going foursquare on behalf of these of of, of preventing people from using handmarked paper ballots, and for now, even uh, opposed, uh, siding with the. Uh, secretary of state and not expanding vote by mail and other accessibility issues. And they're so essentially the Trump campaign is in league with and aligned with a Democratic secretary of state and the National Democratic Party and the state Democratic Party are accepting all of this silently and doing nothing.
1: It is absolutely maddening. Uh, folks can read about it in your story. Uh, but just to make that clear, despite all of the at the top of this segment, I went through all of the lawsuits that are going back and forth. This, is, another lawsuit. this, this is I know this is a, another one. But my point is, you got Republicans and Democrats going at each other in, in state court, in federal court in Pennsylvania. And here, however, the Trump campaign, for some reason, is joining with the Democratic Secretary of State of, uh, of of Pennsylvania in this one area, in this one case. You know, Trump is against vote-by-mail. He's against hand-marked paper ballots. For some reason, go figure, this is okay. He's fine with unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, at least for now. Art, I've, I've mentioned to you before, and, and you referred to it somewhat in your article, that if Donald Trump, after the election comes out and makes the argument that, hey, we don't really know who won in Pennsylvania because they use these unverifiable voting machines. I'm going to have to agree with Donald Trump. And that really disturbs me, Art.
2: That's why it's headlined Donald Trump's favorite voting machines.
1: You can find that story at WashingtonMonthly.com. Art Levine is the author, uh, longtime investigative reporter, uh, w- w- one of the folks who years and years ago was already on this beat uh, and telling me, even back then, how I was getting everything wrong. Well, now we're getting closer to the same page. Well, <laughs> can... I,
2: think I, I think I adjusted my views back in 2006. When I reported on this for American Prospect in the article, Electric Boogaloo. So by the time the article was published, I was in line with your views.
1: All right. Well, they all come around eventually. Glad you did, Art. Uh, you can also find him on the Twitters at ArtL7. Art L 7 on the Twitters. Hey, thank you, brother. Really appreciate your work here. And uh, stay in touch as this mm, potential disaster moves forward. Thank
2: you so much,
1: Brad. You, you bet. You know, I I talked to uh, Art this morning and I said, uh, because it's a really lengthy, detailed piece, it's an excellent piece. And I said, you know what? Even though uh, it's well reported and you're uh, sending up this flare, this alarm, nobody's going to care. They don't care until after the election, in which case, Art, you may become the most famous person in the world. And he said, I hope not. Uh, No,
3: I agree with with Art. Please, no. (laughs) Yes,
1: I hope nobody ever has a need to go back and look at this article after the election. Um, I fear they might. Yeah. Okay, quick break, and we're back with uh, something. Yeah, I know we're running late, aren't we? You'll save us, Desi Doyen. (laughs) I'm Brad Friedman, and this is your Bradcast.
0: I'm riding
1: in your car. <laughs> Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. Well, if you're going to be riding in my car out here in California, apparently it's going to have to be an electric car. Desi Doyan, uh, just before showtime here today, California to require all new cars to be zero emission by 2035? Yeah, really? Now, of
3: course it's for all new cars, but yes, California Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, today called for California to ban new gasoline-fueled vehicles within 15 years, that's 2035, to combat climate change and make the state the first in the nation to stop sales of cars using internal combustion engines. Wow,
1: that's kind of big news.
3: Yes, it's a big executive order. It directs the state air regulators, the California Air Resources Board to establish regulations that re- will require all new cars and passenger trucks sold in California to be zero emissions vehicles. Um, this is going to affect uh, fossil fuel jobs, of yeah. course, and other industry-related jobs, but the Democrats have a plan for that. Uh, part of it nationally would be in the Green New Deal, but California is also working toward a just transition for fossil fuel workers there as well.
1: Donald Trump is not going to like it. The oil industry is not going to like no, it. No,
3: they'll fight it tooth and nail.
1: The car industry the auto industry may not like it because they sell a lot of car parts for the crappy ice vehicles internal combustion uh, uh, engine vehicles that they don't sell with electric cars which just kind of work better
3: of course but remember that california has signed a special deal with four major automakers they will agree to california's new standards so i think the industry is moving this direction uh, it's pretty much all over but the shouting
1: very cool big news what happens in California? Affects the entire nation, so this will be fun. I'm sure we'll have more on tomorrow's Green News Report with Desi Doyen. Until then, my thanks to Desi and to my guest today, Art Levine. Check out his story at WashingtonMonthly.com on Donald Trump's favorite voting machines. And my thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show. Download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Share it with your friends, family, and enemies. That is a service made possible by those of you who help us out. And thank you for stopping by bradblog.com donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And you'll find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.